Ultimately, management owns this, right? It, management is responsible for these concepts, and so they should fully understand what these mean. And that, yes, while there are some aspects that might be daunting and seem scary, you just break it down one bite at a time, and just start start pulling the layers off and, and start breaking that down. Hi, I'm Dominic Bowen, and I'm the host of the International Risk Podcast. This podcast is for CEOs, board members, risk and compliance officers, security advisors, and anyone interested in improving operations. In these interviews, we will speak with renowned international risk experts. If you know me, then you know that I've successfully established operations in some of the most complex environments around the world. Joined by our excellent guests, I'm excited to share with you some useful ideas on how you can help your organization thrive in areas with high risk. Today, we are joined by Sherry Hopman, a certified public accountant, adjunct professor of IT and cybersecurity, an executive coach, leadership development facilitator, and the owner and principal of the Hopman Group. A previous VP in the tech and IT space with a career in banking, finance services, and consulting, in addition to her CPA and CISSP in cybersecurity certification, Sherry has an MBA from the University of Texas. Sherry now supports companies in the areas of cybersecurity, governance, risk, and compliance. She knows all about safeguarding data, companies, and people. So if we just think about risk, everybody does risk. I typically start to try to help people unpack it and understand that it's not this black box thing that only a few people understand. The reality is every time we cross the street, we do a little mini risk assessment in our head. What's my risk tolerance for being hit by a car today? Sherry, as an executive coach and leadership development facilitator, you no doubt have a lot of experience with inspiring and creating robust organizational systems and structures. It's a real pleasure to speak with you today. Hi, Dominic. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to, to have this time today. Thanks very much, Sherry. We want our listeners and their partners to have confidence in risk processes. You work with a lot of companies and senior leaders to achieve this. How do you do that? So that's a pretty daunting task. That's a that's a big question right there. So if we just think about risk, everybody does risk. I typically start to try to help people unpack it and understand that it's not this black box thing that only a few people understand. The reality is every time we cross the street, we do a little mini risk assessment in our head, right? We, okay, how, how, how what's my risk tolerance for being hit by a car today? And we make that determination in our brain. And then I see some people, they run across the street in between cars. So their risk tolerance is obviously very high. And then I see other people like myself who wait for the little person to say, yep, you can walk now. And so then I still look both ways and, and then I cross the street. And so it, this, the concept is simple and the concept people do in their head all the time. The trick is is to formalize it so that everybody does it the same way across the organization or similarly. And then even on top of that, especially as a CPA who does audits and, and helps companies with controls and how to document and evidence those, it's great that you do it in your head. Everybody does. But if you can't evidence it, then you really don't get credit for it, so to say, uh, when it comes to compliance mechanisms or regulators. And so it really, ever, all of this really does start start with risk. And so that's typically where 
where I start with companies is, is, is let's look at your risk posture and smaller companies obviously have a much higher risk tolerance than larger, more established companies. And so none of these programs are one size fits all. They all fit within the organization and what makes sense for that organization to align with their corporate objectives and strategy, but then also for the resources that, that they have available. And so then it's really looking at the, the program holistically from a risk standpoint, and then from there starting to break down the pieces parts. That's a lot of great points, Sherry. I find that people are generally scared by terms governance, mm-hmm. compliance, risk management, and data protection. People often want that ready out of the box solution that's the same yes. for all organizations at, at all times. And as you know, that's just not possible. How Correct. do we build understanding whilst removing fear around these important topics? Yeah, that's a great point. They're big words and they seem like they mean a lot of things. And and then unfortunately, you know, you've got some people out there in, in industry that purposely try to keep it mysterious and, and not understood. I, I work with my clients very transparently. I want them to understand this stuff. I mean, ultimately, management owns this, right? It Management is responsible for these concepts. And so they should fully understand what these mean. And that, yes, while there are some aspects that might be daunting and seem scary, you just break it down one bite at a time and just start start pulling the layers off and, and start breaking that down. But yes, it is scary. And then when you look at the, the context of the world and there's all the bad actors in the world and sometimes you have them within your organization, it can seem very like, where do I start? What can I do? And a lot of, I, I find some companies just ignore it. They really just don't want to hear about it. They either don't know or they don't want to know because ignorance is bliss sometimes. And so it's just a matter of, of really helping to unpack that it's it's not a fearful thing. And then quite honestly, it's a social responsibility thing at this point, right? I mean, look at our world. Companies have a social responsibility to make sure that in good faith, they do the protection of their organization that they should do, especially if they have any sort of regulated data, consumer data, uh, credit credit card data, health data, any of that information that's that's regulated, they absolutely have a huge social responsibility. But even companies that aren't on the radar of maybe a regulator knocking at their door today, they still have that social responsibility, right? And then it will it will take companies out like one one bad report, one news write up, one one misstep, and and that's it. So it is scary. I mean, I, I get it. It is scary, but it's not something that can be ignored. It's something to hit head on. If you don't have the knowledge, find somebody to help you walk that path, and then recognize that all of this is a culture. It's not a set it and forget it. I work with companies all the time. It's just what you said. Can you just send me a list of controls? No, I really can't do that. Are are you sure you can't send me a list? You know, I Googled and I found blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, that's that is one possibility, but a lot of that stuff won't apply to you or you'll over solution. And so I have this dialogue back and forth with companies. Just send me the list. And and it's really that's really not the right approach. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because if you use any of those standards, they're intended to be kind of the, the max product. Like look at the NIST CSF, it's the max product, right? So if you go do all of that stuff, that's great, but that's very expensive, like super, super expensive to implement upfront to design those programs. But, but even more so you have to maintain those programs ongoing because none of this stuff is just set it and forget it. And so that's where you, it's all well and fine to say, Hey, just 
just send me a list, but that's where it all goes back to risk. Because if your risk is low in an area or acceptable in an area, then you may not need to solution that item as much or the same way as another company. I love telling the story. So there's this company that I worked with I, I, after the fact I, I worked with them and they, they had a breach attempt. And so they freaked out, of course. Oh, my gosh. And they tried to steal money. They basically did the imposter thing where the main person of the company said, hey, send this person money now. Do it. Just do it. And so they they used that kind of urgency and that, and that breach attempt to, to get money sent. And so it almost worked, uh, but then it did get stopped. And so as a response, it was very easy um, to just say, hey, you know, let's just go put all these controls in and let's go, let's go full on. We don't want this to ever happen again. And so what do we need to do? And then just all these layers started to, to come into the organization, which is, which is great. It's good practice. I get it. But but this particular company just didn't have any regulated data. So the risk is just the business risk to the organization. So then you've got to ask yourself, okay, what really is is to be lost? And how much do I want to spend to protect that? Do my my thing is worth 50 bucks. Do I want a $500 fence to protect the $50 thing? And that's really where, that's where the risk assessment comes in and really understanding what really is the risk, what really is the exposure, and then what is the right level of control, the right level of solution against that. So you don't over solution in the beginning, overpay. And then most importantly, you're going to overpay, unfortunately, on that forever because that control will have to be maintained. Exactly. You brought up so many great points then. And I, I love the one where people come to you and say, we, we don't even know where to start. And that's a common yeah. one. My response consistently at the start, that's where we start. And then people <laughs> sort of good. go, oh, okay. And then usually, they go, okay, so we'll just look at this. I'm like, no, no, no. That's about step seven. Let's go <laughs> all the way back to the start. Yep. Where are we? And, and I think that's a really a common desire for all of us to go, I know the operating environment in China or I know what import, you know, I know what the environment in the UK is. Well, does anyone know what the operating environment in the UK is today? Only, uh, yeah. you know, two weeks after Brexit. Does anyone know what the operating environment in the US is in, you know, in, the, in these last days or in the changeover from one president to another? You know, and I think that's the same in, in most countries with most regulations, with most, you know, you look at COVID. Travel yeah. restrictions and, and travel rules changing nearly every day around the world. So it's going back to the start and really just having a look at where am I? What does my company do? What is our core business? What is our core product? Yeah. And even going beyond that and not even the product, uh, what is the what are the customer's needs that we're trying to service? And then yeah. trying to work out the risk from there uh, the whole way along the process. It requires really taking a, a big step back from where we often want to start. Yeah. And then you brought up a great point too. So often when I work with companies, you know, they, they want to get to done. Okay. How do we get to done? We'll, <laughs> we'll get to a milestone. We'll get to several milestones, but, but there's this concept of we'll never get to done because this stuff doesn't ever get to done. You get your programs put in place. You have this continuous improvement mindset. You run your programs. And then just exactly what you said, things change. Regulation changes. The world changes. System changes. New breach attempts happen. Uh, you know, I you th just think about 911, for example. I, I remember business continuity sitting and talking about business continuity. Well, especially in America, nobody, like, it, it was almost you just almost would laugh that off, right? Terrorist attack. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. We'll put it on the list. Great. It's there, but it's not really there. Like it's just part of the exercise. Right. But then once that happens, okay, everybody now full well has shooter in the building and terrorist attack. And now 
pandemic is going to fall into that same category, right? It was kind of just on the box. Yep. Pandemic. Oh, ha ha ha. That could happen. Now it's not going to be a, oh, that, oh wait, that could really happen. It did happen. And so it kind of brings all of that into focus that, Hey, this stuff is not just words on paper. This is real. And we should approach it as though it's real. We don't need to freak out about it, but let's be prepared. Let's talk through that as though it's really going to happen. And uh, cause it could, and, and then make the appropriate preparations. But then it, but again, there's this mindset of getting to done. It's just like, hey, send me a list of controls. Let me get them done and we're done. No, you're you're never going to be done. I hate to break it to you. It's an ongoing program. It's ongoing care and feeding. And you have to be responsive to external changes, internal changes, all of those changes around you for how you need to adjust your programs. And that's actually one of the reasons I really like scenario planning. I know a lot of the, the companies and clients that we work for often want to go straight to the, the, the end solution or to the, as you mm-hmm. said, the done, or they want to know the possible outcomes or how are things going to evolve in the US or, or how's the Brexit negotiations going to evolve. And go, okay, well, let's look at a couple of different scenarios. And people often just want the finished product and they want to skip the valuable cognitive process of analyzing the environment, considering the drivers of change, assessing how different risks at different times will impact their business operations. Do you ever go through that process of scenario development and scenario planning as part of your processes with clients? Done some business continuity exercises. And and again, what's interesting is, so I work with, with corporations, right? And so it's very different dynamic than you because you've been out in the field, the front line. And so all of this stuff is, is much more real to you in the corporate setting. It's words on paper, right? And so this scenario exercises sometimes are, are quite humorous. And like, I remember working with companies and talks of aliens coming out. <laughs> it could happen. That is a true statement. Does it need to be on the list? I don't know. Maybe this year it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's words on paper and it's very difficult sometimes for people who sit behind a desk all the time to to think in those terms and then it's very difficult to, okay well what should be on the paper yes you can put aliens on aliens on the papers that should be on the paper i i don't know you know that's what really is the exposure to your organization and what do we really want to see all the way through and so it is it's very difficult sometimes in a almost a it's a theoretical scenario building where you're talking through it and you're thinking through it, but it's not like something tangible that you touch and you see. I know in talking to you, conversations of you being on the field and refugees showing up, okay, that makes all this like very real, very quickly, right? In a corporate setting, it's different. There's a different level of challenge because, okay, well, the control says we need to do this. Great. Okay, well, let's do that. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, let's break this down, especially for people who have never done it before. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, oh, so what could go wrong? Um, well, um, and then there's where you have to then start to pull out, like, okay, think through this. And what I what I try to do with companies, especially who have never done it before, is let's start with the data. You said data protection already. Like, that's the highest risk, right? Especially today, the data is the highest risk. So I try to help companies with, okay, let's let's start there. Let's think, what data do you have? What data do you need to protect? What responsibility do you have? And so that then a lot of times helps to get the the minds and the wheels thinking. And then, of course, there's business risk outside of that. And so you want to capture that, especially if you're doing an enterprise risk assessment. And and so to move through that. But I, I really try to get people to focus on the data and what happens if whatever was lost. What would that mean? And just talk through the scenario that way. 
I think that's a great way of doing it, Sherry, putting it to people and saying, well, what would that actually mean? What would that look like? What would that look like if it ended up on the front cover of the New York yeah. Times tomorrow? You, you, you mentioned before about never setting and forgetting it and always recognizing that the environment is always changing and we've got to stay on top of it. How do organizations know how often and how comprehensive is enough when it comes to their risk treatment plans, their analysis and reviewing their, their activities? Well, if you ask me, <laughs> because you're always watching it. Now, I realize that's because I'm ultimately a nerd and love this stuff, and not everybody feels the same way. But but you are, you're watching it. And some things have a natural cadence, quarterly, annually. But then almost all of it should have some sort of cadence of something has happened, something has radically changed. For example, if you flip-flop your, your core system in the middle of the year, well, you should probably re-look at your risk posture and you should probably take a look around that because you've just made a major change. Or then you you brought up a good example. If you're in a country that has had a major political change or even some sort of major structure or relationship with the countries around it, how does that affect your business? Then we should should probably look at that. And so it really is just having these good programs in place and then working those programs. And and all of those major risk-based programs should have that you look at it with some sort of frequency, typically annually at at most. And then depending on whatever it is or, or how fast your business moves, it might be less than that. But then there's also this caveat that when something majorly changes, we should look at this thing and that should be the trigger for people. The other part of that is reporting off of it. If you have, if you in your program, you know, again, we just don't want to create words on paper and we don't want to create burden upon people and don't want to create exercises that just use up time and resources. We want things that are meaningful to the organization that help protect the organization and, and those who the organization serves. And so if you if you look at those programs and as part of designing them, if you have good metrics and good reporting around them, that helps it to be top of mind, right? You're going to your board monthly or going to your board quarterly and you're sending these metrics, not detail granular stuff they don't care about, but these high level metrics that show, hey, we've had this touch point with this, with this program. It's running, it's active, it's being care and fed, people are looking at it. And, and, you know, a lot of companies, especially your smaller, medium sized companies, they don't necessarily have the funds to have a full-time risk person or a full-time compliance person on staff, but you know, there are people who can help you. I mean, that's one of the things I do is, is sometimes you only need a half of that person or a quarter of that person and that's okay. But then that way that program stays top of mind. It gets, it gets appropriately developed and it gets the appropriate attention all the way up that it needs to get. So so that's my answer to your question. The other thing I was going to say is, you know, things do go wrong in our world that we all know that it does happen. No matter what you do, unless you move your company to Mars and are not on the internet, there's there's nothing you can do. Oh, by the way, I actually, it was funny. I ran across a doctor the other day that they were talking about how difficult it is to find paper file cabinets because nobody does paper files anymore at the doctor. They all do it electronically, but this particular doctor, not interested in being online at all, so he keeps paper files. <laughs> so that is one way to avoid the risk. <laughs> if your risk tolerance is so low that you don't even want to be online, that's an acceptable way to do it. But most of most companies, that's not the that's not the way it works. And so so all of this by designing your programs and appropriately reporting on them and having metrics and board visibility and all of that, that's the due diligence. That's the good faith exercise, right? So when something happens, 
okay, but but we weren't remiss about this. We did this. I've talked to companies, but no joke, companies who have regulated data, they don't even know what access control is. I, I asked them and they're like, what? What is that? That's that's a bad place to be in, right? Like a really bad place because if you haven't even done your a gap assessment, a risk assessment, you know, some sort of due diligence and then some sort of monitoring of your remediation of what needs to be done, you don't have to do it in five seconds. It can take years to do remediation. That's okay. But the point is you're intentional and you're handling your high risk items with much more urgency than some of the other things and you're moving through this stuff. You know, that that's the due diligence that people will expect to see when something goes wrong. And it will. Just expect it. Exactly. And that's the thing that I encourage people to be aware of, that we shouldn't necessarily be as scared. We should be creating the systems yep. that enable us to respond when these events occur. And as you said, they do occur. Hopefully the they aliens do. don't occur, but most <laughs> other risks are probably going to occur. Yes. Business continuity planning is such an important task and it's especially an important task that is continually reviewed and as politics change, as social norms change, as behaviours around protesting and and violence. And and when I say that, I think of countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo and countries where there's, uh, and Haiti, where there's, and Uganda, where, you know, I've been in the last few years and, and there's been very violent protesting. But of course, We're seeing that now in Europe. We're seeing that in France. We're seeing it in Germany. We're seeing it in the UK. We're seeing it in parts of Denmark. And unfortunately, as we all know, uh, we've seen it in the the USA recently. absolutely. How robust do you think most companies' business continuity plans are? (laughs) So that's an interesting question that you asked me. So what I see more more often is their disaster recovery plans. So unfortunately, what I see more often is that's exercise starts in IT, which is not the intention, right? The intention is to start at the business side. What are those key business process? What are those key functions that are necessary for the continuity of the business? Then that flows to your, to your DR program. And so those, those two halves of the coin fit together. But what I, what I most often see is IT, they know the systems. And so they are somehow ascribing the criticality to it. And not that they're wrong per se, but it's not the whole picture. I did a business continuity exercise last year that was, was the starting at the business, all of the, um, you know, all the interviews, understanding the business, the core functions, all of that, and then marrying that with the DR program that IT had created. And the, the comment from the security guy was, wow, this is highlighted things that I didn't know that we need to think about from an IT perspective, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. But there's still this natural divide between the business and IT. And unfortunately, DR so many times is driven by IT. And it, it and quite frankly, you know, all those interviews and all those discussions and all that documentation and sifting through all that, it's, it's hard, right? Like that's a hard exercise, it takes a lot of time, but it reaps huge dividends because then you end up with something that, okay, this really does. I thought this was important, but wow, turns out this random application over here is like super critical to the business. We didn't really even know that. And then I'll put on top of that shadow IT. Now you have where technology is so much readily available across the organization. It doesn't even necessarily come through IT, right? So unless it needs to integrate with something within the environment, you, the business can basically go out and buy something 
use it, IT may not even ever know about it, which is another reason why, you know, those business continuity programs, if we're going to, the whole point of it is the business continuity (laughs) so that the business would continue. I mean, that starts with your business owners and that starts with really diving into what those folks do and what's most important to sustain the business and then flowing into IT. So it's a very interesting question that you ask because I've seen that for years, the divide between business and IT, but it's, it's, it's changed, but it's almost like it's gotten worse because now IT, I mean, it's great for the business because now they're not so reliant upon IT, right? So that's a good thing, uh, especially with all the cloud stuff. I mean, it's so easy to spin stuff up. The bad thing is it's outside of the purview of the controls and the risk assessments and kind of the rigor. And there's where your weakest link is, right? And that's that's where that those programs can help to to button all that up and bring everybody onto the same page. I think that proper risk processes add value and guide improved decision-making yep. processes within companies. You know, we need to have cultures where compliance is seen as a helpful activity that we're all involved in and not a burden. Yep. And I think you're right. A different way of framing it is as a marketing tool. Look how strong our company is. That's Look right. how partnering with us is a safe activity, whereas if you partner with our competitors, you might not get the same guarantees. That's right. We, we pay for insurance with the hope that we never need it. Whereas we're slow to establish robust risk structures, which actually move us in the direction of minimizing and avoiding risk altogether. Whenever I ask senior leaders if they have various types of insurance, they consistently look at me strangely and respond with, well, of course we have insurance. We've got liability insurance (laughs) and we've got this insurance. Surely all organizations have insurance. And my response is, yeah, of course, insurance is, is very important. And then I ask, how robust your process is to actually mitigate, manage, mm-hmm. and respond to risks. And it's usually at about that point that senior leaders often start playing with a notepad in front of them or look a little bit less confident, <laughs> which I always find so strange that we happily put money out on insurance, but we're less inclined to create the cultures that properly understand, embrace, and treat risk and even move through risk in a, in a mature way. What do you see as the as the balance between insurance and risk processes and controls and even the perception that people have that they've bought insurance and, and thus they can be less concerned about risk? Right. Oh, I have talked to companies. Oh, we have cybersecurity insurance. We're fine. Okay. To me, that's kind of like buying liability insurance, but not having fire detectors, not having escape paths, you know, leaving chairs everywhere, not fixing carpet. It doesn't work, right? You don't buy insurance to clean up the mess after it's happened. You get insurance for the inadvertent time that it might happen but it doesn't mean you're absolved of your responsibility because you have insurance. But in the case of cybersecurity, you're right. I have talked to several companies who are like, oh, we have cybersecurity insurance we don't need to talk to. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a little bit surprised that cybersecurity companies don't require those. Like you could get a discount if you get a SOC 2 report and, and maybe they do, maybe some do. I don't, I don't know, but it is curious to me that they're not expecting people to do a little bit more due diligence, just like you just said, to have the program. You don't buy insurance, you know, just look at your car. You don't buy car insurance and then drive like a maniac because I have insurance, No, you don't want to wreck your car. You don't want to have it in the shop. You don't want to maybe die or get injured or worse yet, hurt someone else. You don't, you don't do that. Whether you have insurance or not, it shouldn't change the way you drive. You should still drive, you know, pretty 
pretty decently and obey the laws and, you know, whatever. It's not that you're thinking, oh, I can speed because I have insurance. No, that's not the thought process. But in the cybersecurity world, it is. And so absolutely, I, I totally agree with you. It's insurance is just a net that you never expect to use. You never want to use. And then what most, what a lot of people don't realize is when it comes to a breach, they will start to investigate exactly the details. And if they find that you were so negligent, they, then they're like, that's your problem. That's not our problem. And that has happened. And so again, that's why you can't just do nothing and say, I have insurance. You still have to, to in good faith, do what you need to do, align to a framework, or if you have regulation, you know, make sure you're like HIPAA, for example, make sure you're you're following HIPAA and you're doing what you need to do there or get a SOC 2, you know, something that shows, no, we've done our part. We're we're mindful of this. And so then that way the insurance really will 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 kick in and help you. But hopefully, you know, you don't need the insurance. That's the idea, right? And so yeah, absolutely. And then something you said at the beginning is it's a culture. And that is so true. You know who knows the risk of the organization? It's the people in the organization. It's not necessarily the CEO. He has his perspective, of course, but risk, everybody knows the risk to the organization. And sometimes it's that call center person. They know the risk or it's a warehouse person they know. And if you've worked to foster a culture of risk where everybody feels like, hey, this is a good thing. This adds value to our organization. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want the company to go down. So I'm going to tell you that, hey, we put the whatever here and that's a risk. And and I, you know, I'm just letting you all know that I, I think that. And then that way it can be appropriately evaluated. It's, it's a good thing that people are open and transparent about that. It may not get addressed right away because maybe Maybe the risk really isn't high, but at least there's this culture of, yes, please let us know. Because a lot of times it's the people on the front lines, the people on the floor that know more of the risks of the organization than even the executive level. You couldn't have said it better. You're totally right. Mm -hmm. It really is that need to, to be involving everyone. And as yes. you said, and I'm, I'm quoting you now, things will go <laughs> wrong, breaches will happen. The accountability and compliance, whilst it doesn't guarantee safety, it certainly positions organizations in a, in a better spot than if they hadn't done everything reasonable to mitigate risk. Yeah. I almost feel Absolutely. like it's unfair to ask anyone this question um, oh, boy. <laughs> today, but, but what are your biggest risk concerns for businesses in 2021? Wow. You know, my biggest concern with all of this is ignorant, self-imposed and not self-imposed. So there's just a lot of companies that they just, they don't realize how serious this is. And I talked to, you know, some industries are very mom and pop oriented. And so they're just smaller companies, but yet they have regulated data or they're gatekeepers or something like that. And so it's um, it's very interesting that I see so many companies that they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know, which that's okay. We we all have that, right? We don't know it until we know it, and then then we can act on it. But then, like you said earlier, I, I see a lot that just purposely just no, no, I mm -mm, I don't I don't want to hear about. It. Don't tell me because if I don't know, then. I'm not responsible, but that's not true. You can't just turn turn a blind eye to this, all of this. You have to be very mindful of this. And then and then unfortunately the the risk to the organization, the risk to the shareholders, the risk to the board, the ownership, who whoever that is. And then you've got the risk to whoever is served. So if if you go out of existence because you didn't 
be mindful of this stuff in an appropriate way. Well, then those you have served will be hurt by this. And so all of that is you, you can't ignore this stuff. And so honestly, that's the biggest thing I see with companies, at least here in the United States, is larger companies who are regulated, who have regulators knocking at their door, they're much more mindful of it. But then here's what I see with them. And so then this was the other part I would answer is then it becomes a checkoff exercise. And that's bad too, right? Like it doesn't become a culture. It doesn't become something that's baked into business as usual. It's a burden. It's something on top of everybody else's jobs. And that's terrible, right? Because one, it's, it's, hurting your, hindering your resources. People aren't really understanding. It's not, you know, culture across the organization and they're just checking boxes and, oh, great. The auditors are coming. Oh, terrific. Okay. What do we got to do now? That's the wrong mindset, right? The mindset is no, we are doing this stuff because we want our business to continue. We want to serve our customers well. We want to serve our investors well. And so that's the mindset, right? Oh, auditors are coming. Great. They should be checking what we're already doing. Auditors, shouldn't be driving anything. But unfortunately, I see a lot of companies that the auditors are the ones who have helped to set the controls. That's wrong. The company should be looking at their risk posture. The company should be setting the controls, managing those programs. The audit is just the check of that. Yep. Good job. You've, oh, you missed a couple of here. No big deal. Check, 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 done. But unfortunately you get these larger regulated environments. It becomes a checkbox exercise. It becomes exhaustive and burdensome. And then on the flip side, you've got companies who just want to turn a blind eye to it either by choice or by they really just don't know. And so to me, that's the biggest thing with all of this. And then if this last year hasn't showed us that this stuff is real, it, this is not just words on paper, this stuff is real. And so to start taking this serious because one, one faulty turn and that could be the end of your organization and that's not to, to create undue fear, but we've all seen it happen. Exactly. And I love that attitude about the auditors are coming. Isn't that great? Because Ideally, your internal processes and your systems and structures prevent there being any issues. But yep. I much prefer the auditors pick it up than the New York Times. Exactly. I <laughs> prefer that the auditors come to me with a report that says we need a fixing as opposed to the police after there's been a yep. massive theft or shareholders raising a, a massive concern. So I think it really is about changing that mindset. There's this concept in banking. You reminded me of that when you said that. There's this concept in banking of three lines of de defense three lines of defense. And so the first line, of course, is the, the the control owner. The second line aligns and works with the control owner, but has the enterprise overset, oversight program. So across the enterprise, those programs look the same. Then the third line is internal audit. And exactly what you just said, three lines of defense. So internal audit is part of your defense because exactly what you just said, you would rather internal audit find it than a regulator. And then after the, it's officially three lines, but then your next line would be the external auditors, right? You would rather them find it than, like you said, the New York Times. And so there's this concept exact in banking, exactly what you said. If it's defense, it's layers of defense. It's not these people are coming against me. No, we're all on the same page working toward the same end. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. You've spoken a bit about uh, IT just then, Sherry. Mm -hmm. I understand that you help organizations with system and organization control or SOC 2 valid validation, Correct. as well as cybersecurity certifications and privacy and information protection examinations. Can you tell me about the importance of these validations and certifications and, and why companies should be considering them? 
Yes. So SOC 2 specific is kind of near and dear to my heart because I do have my CPA license. And so a SOC SOC 2 report was developed by the AICPA, the American Institute of CPAs. And so it is specifically around the cybersecurity or the security aspects within an organization. It's a great mechanism for companies to evaluate where they are with to some sort of standard and a reasonable standard. SOC 2 allows you to fit the controls to your risk. So there's a lot of variability, but yet it's still a standard and a framework. But then here's the cool thing about SOC 2 is companies have third-party risk management programs. So breach in the supply chain is one of the highest breach Uh, risks. And so it's great. You can have all the perfect controls within your organization, but the minute you take another organization and you somehow use them as part of your, your processes, that's your, that's your weakest link, right? What kind of controls do they have now? That's third party risk management. And so um, cloud providers, for example, like AWS and Azure, they obviously all have SOC 2 reports because very important. If I'm going to rely upon you to house my data, how do I know? you have cameras in your data center and you log who comes in and out and you do periodic access reviews and all those controls. Well, that's the SOC 2 report. So instead of having to go and audit my suppliers, I just ask them for their SOC 2 report. I review it and then I can feel confident or not feel confident with using that organization. So a SOC 2 report is very much an instrument of due diligence and mitigating the risk to your organization because you're checking those reports. But then now flip it the other way. You want to become a supplier to another organization and they are going to ask for your SOC 2 report. So that's a lot of times how conversations with new clients start is I was asked for a SOC report, a SOC 2 report, and I just lost X dollars business because I could not provide them how do I get it? I need it today. And so that's typically how those conversations start. And what is it? (laughs) And so then that way we can start to break that down with the gap assessment and then put together a remediation plan and then prioritize and rank that remediation plan based on risk and then work to get companies to move to where they can, um, they can provide the SOC 2. So the SOC 2 for, for your supply chain helps to mitigate your risk in using suppliers. The SOC 2 for you to have helps with your uh, future customers for them to have confidence that you are running your organization the way that you should. And so it helps you to basically land business. It's, it's effectively a marketing tool in that regard. Well, thank you so much for speaking today, Sherry. I've had a lot of fun bouncing around with you today. It's been really, really great. Yes, thank you. Great. Well, we'll have to get you back, no doubt, to unpack some of these issues in even more detail. Well, that was a great conversation with Sherry today. I love Sherry's points about that regardless of the size of your company, focus on meaningful activities, on meaningful metrics, and reporting that actually matters. Important breaking down risks to understand them, about being intentional in your risk management activities, and about creating a risk culture within your company that matters, and doing what is reasonable to be compliant. These were all really interesting points raised today. I appreciate hearing Sherry's thoughts on all of these topics, and I appreciate you listening today. Please go to wherever you download your podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review. Your positive reviews and subscriptions to future downloads is critical for our success. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak again next week.